Good morning. The uh, reading today will be found on page 929 of your pew Bibles. It's like Cody said, Acts 20, 17 through 38. It's Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account for my life in any, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you you among whom I have gone about proclaiming, proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that For three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the world of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the words he has spoken that they will not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. I'd like to now provide a prayer of thanksgiving. Dear God, thank you for all you've given us. Thank you mostly for your word, the Bible, that we have the opportunity to read that without fear, without, without any controls. Lord, let us turn to the Bible and and. Thank you for your word that is written there. 
And Lord, I want to thank you for the community and state we live in. As Cody mentioned, there are, there are still places in the United States that we're not allowed to assemble like we are today, seeing each other and, and worshiping God like we know we should. Lord, I want to thank you also for our mothers. If it wasn't for them, none of us would be here right now. Lord, thank you again for your word and, and for your forgiveness through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you'll permit me, I would like to open our time this morning uh, with a bit of a personal story. And this, I hope, will sort of set the tone for what is taking place here in our passage this morning in Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 38. Uh, I don't know about you, but my most tear-filled and memorable goodbyes are not the folks of whom I've known for years and years, even decades, of which they may depart and move to another state or something of that nature. But the most difficult ones have been the ones I've known for the fewest years, and yet for those few years went through fire like maybe rarely with any other. Uh, the guy who came to mind this morning, I'll share his name. Some of you may know him, some of you don't, but I'll tell you the story behind him, and that's Brant Bernard. I can't even talk about that guy. <clears throat> I knew him for all of, well, I still know him. He's not gone, uh, but he's not living here anymore. Uh, he's, he's off in uh, seminary. But when he was here uh, and when he left, I mean, if you were here in this church and you were here for their final week, you knew the difficulty I had to speak about him. Well, why was that? Well, I, I sat with he and his first wife as they uh, attributed to the glory of God in their lives to save them as they thought about joining the church. And, and then eight days later, <clears throat> I was involved in preaching that woman's funeral and watching Brant suffer through that. And then he moved into my house and he lived with me for, I don't know, a year, nine months. I don't know how long it was. And then I had the joy of doing premarital counseling with him and now his wife and being involved in his faithfulness to Christ through suffering and the joy of being able to officiate his wedding. And, and then he departs for seminary, and we'll see him again, certainly. But when I was thinking about this passage and thinking about Paul and getting ready to depart and not see the face of these men again, <clears throat> that's the only thing that came to mind. Is, is the, he, he had been in the trenches with these guys. And I think it's important for us to recognize before we look at the nuances of this passage and before we get the glory of Christ from this passage to recognize the, the, the context, if you will, the emotional context overlaid upon this. Uh, of friendships, of faithfulness, of brothers forged in fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as even Tom read it, maybe your, your, your thought is maybe the, even the first, uh, the first readers of this passage thinking that this is for pastors, this is for elders, elders who should remain steadfast in the caring of your soul and the souls entrusted to your own, your own church, you're entrusted to your care. And that's true, this is for pastors. But, but how much more is it also still for the church? And as we recognize what Christ has done to to purchase us with his blood, which you see in this passage, we would recognize this morning that the blood-bought bride of Christ is to be carefully guarded, starting within and then without. 
And, and that's true for me, certainly, and for Eddie and for David, but that's also true for you sitting in the pew. Now, this is a long passage, and even as Tom read it, how are we going to take this in, in one giant chunk? And if you're looking at, the, at your Bible, I trust that you are. Let me just direct you to uh, two ways to look at this passage that I think might be helpful to us. Uh, first of all, uh, the sort of the macro way of seeing it is there's a description, and then there's a speech, and then there's a description again. And, and you'll see this in your text. Verse 17 and kind of 18a, there's a description, and then Paul speaks. And this is it's very much an example of how Paul ends up going on and, and some of the epistles that he writes. This is the, the tone he uses with them. But then you see in verse 36, there's another description. So it's description, speech, description. And within the description, uh, excuse me, within the speech, there's, there's even more kind of breaks in the passage. Your Bible, if you're reading the ESV, would have something like this. Look at verse 22. So the beginning of the speaking and now. So there's this first part of that section uh, is 17 to 20 and then and now there's another jump in the section and if you let your eyes scan the page you'll get to verse 25 and then another and now and keep scrolling and your eyes will hit verse 32 and now uh, Paul is breaking his speech at these places and he's helping and, he, and he's shifting different things along the way and that's what we're gonna uh, that's how we'll take the passage this morning to help us think about what Paul is trying to articulate to these Ephesian elders. So this first section here in verse 17 through 21, a faithful example. If you're taking notes, a faithful example. Now we see there in verse 17, Paul is now arrived in Miletus. We can remember from last week he's traveling to Jerusalem and desiring to go to Rome. And there's a going right by Ephesus by way of ship and he lands in Miletus and he calls the elders to come to him. He had spent much time in Ephesus. If he pauses there for any significant amount of time, he gets off the boat. What happens? Paul's back. Paul, you can't just leave so quickly. Paul, you need to stay. Paul, we want you for dinner. Paul, we want you for breakfast. Paul, would you come to us and have coffee? All these things are trying to take place. He doesn't have time for this. He needs to get to Jerusalem. So he sails by Ephesus, calls for the elders to come to him in Miletus. And these are the elders of the church in Ephesus. So he's speaking to a particular group of shepherds in a particular local church. And you notice in this first section, 17 through 21 here, Paul gives a brief review of what he has been up to in his ministry in Asia. Notice verse 19. Serve the Lord with all humility. Serve the Lord with tears. Serve the Lord with trials serve the Lord with all humility with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews we have looked at those plots over and over and over again where Paul upon arriving to a new city goes into the synagogue the preaching of the word happens to the Jews at some point in the ministry they kick him out and persecute him but despite that persecution despite that opposition Verse 20, what does he do? Does not shrink from declaring anything profitable. He's preaching to them the good news of Jesus Christ in the face of adversity, in the face of persecution, and he teaches them publicly, and he does it from house to house to all. That's the Jew and the Greek. Declaring to them repentance toward God and a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul is the example 
set forth for these Ephesian elders and even for us. He's a church planner, but he's also an elder. And, and he's set before us himself by the grace of God as an example. And the way he lives his life is an example of, of pastoring. He's serving humbly with tears through trials, not shrinking from declaring the good news of Jesus Christ publicly and from house to house. That, that is, he, he is constantly with a word on his lips about the glory of Christ and seeking to encourage those within his care. Now, we can think of the guilt laid upon the shepherds of Israel. Uh, you could go in your Bible, no need to, I'll mention it, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14. And the guilt of the shepherds of Israel was just this. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. What does Paul do? Not that. He's not a light pastor. He's not going to shrink from declaring whatever was profitable. If he sees that which might be profitable for the souls of those in his care, he's willing to speak it. I, even as I studied this passage, uh, all I could think about was how I want to be like this, but how difficult this can be. How difficult it is to not shrink from declaring anything that would be profitable. If I might add, I might ask the question, what, what are you looking for in a pastor? Uh, some of you who are getting close to the college years where you'll, you'll go off to a school maybe and you're going to look for a church. What are you going to look for in a pastor? A personality? One that might be business-minded, good leader? perfect pastor one that has always the right word for every situation or someone with the heart of a shepherd Matthew chapter 9 Christ looks upon the sheep as those that were without a shepherd and let me just say that shepherds are not always the kindest of men they're rough they stink but they care deeply about the sheep. Shepherds and future shepherds, this work is not easy, but to not seek the sheep is to not be a shepherd. And we would then ask, as shepherds, myself, Eddie, David, if you desire to be a future shepherd, which is, the Scripture tells us is a good desire, would you pray for us? Because to not be a shepherd who would be with the sheep is to not be a shepherd at all. Now, what is he doing? Well, we see that verse 21. I've noted it. He's testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's proclaiming the gospel not just to the unbeliever, but to the believer. He's articulating the glory of Jesus Christ for the church. It's desperately needed. But Paul is using all of verse 18 and 21 and, and really all the way into about verse uh, 25 and following. He's using all of this to set up what's going to happen in, in 25 through about 31. So he gives us a faithful example, but then he moves to a faithful finish. This is Paul's desire. We, we sort of get the inner workings of what Paul greatly wants. 22 for, through verse 24. Where is he going? He's going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. Note that verse 22 and 23. 
constrained by the Spirit, and the Spirit testifies to him, Paul, you're going, and where I'm leading you is not a happy place. In every city that I go, there will be imprisonment and afflictions that await me. Now just consider this. Consider what it means to be saved by Jesus Christ, bought by his blood, convinced of his leading, convinced of the mission he has upon your life, of the calling he has upon your life. And then consider the boldness that is required to know I'm going somewhere where I know pain awaits. Just, just, just think about that. Honey, I'm going to go to work today knowing I'm going to break my arm. Who goes to work? Not me. I mean, but that, that's the type of mentality this man has. He's convinced that the Holy Spirit has called him to this task to raise up believers for the glory of God. And he's willing to go even though what awaits him imprisonment and afflictions. His number one desire, his number one desire is not his life, not anything other than that he would run well and finish well in the mission assigned to him. To, the te- to testify to the gospel of grace. That's his, that's his only desire. I'm leaving you all. You've got to know this is what I want. I want to finish well. May that be said of all of us. I, I fear I'm too soft. And I fear we're all too soft as Christians. You know, no one stopped us at that door. No one told you that if you come to church today, you're going to lose your job. No one told you that if you, if you decide to open your Bible, you won't ever see your children again. But this is the reality for many Christians. And it's not for us. And to our shame, I believe, we're often too weak. We don't have anything to lose but our reputation. That's it. And really, is it that big of a deal? I mean, this, this is what has got to go through our minds. This is what's going through my mind. As your pastor is thinking, I'm soft compared to this. When, when, when are we going to get tough for Christ? When the guy is knocking at the door and telling me, give me all your Bibles? Oh, then, then daylight dollar short. Brothers and sisters, let's, let us use the, the time of grace that we have in our country to not shrink from declaring the gospel of grace. May it be set upon all of our hearts. I said, though, that what we're trying to get to, and that's what we'll spend the majority of our time, is this third portion, which is 25 through 31. If you think in going fast... I'll slow down here in just a minute. 17 through 21 is a faithful example. 22 through 24 is a faithful finish. And then 25 through 31 is a faithful watch. This is where Paul is landing. First of all, notice what he says, something unusual. Therefore, verse 26, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. What on earth is he speaking about? Well, in Acts chapter 18, verse 6, remember one of the things he does to the Jews as he leaves the synagogue is he says, your blood be upon your own head. And what's probably ringing through 
Paul's mind and certainly would should be ringing through our minds when we think Old Testament is thinking Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 6 but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them then that person is taken away in his iniquity but his blood I will require at the watchman's hands what's the job of the preacher to be the watchman to declare what is sin and the glory of Jesus Christ Why is this blood not upon his hands? You see, because he did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That is, he did not leave out any part of the plan of God's redemption of sinners. He preached the popular verses and he preached the unpopular ones. In a word, Paul was a verse-by-verse preacher. He simply took what was in front of him and he proclaimed it. And he gets all of this. He's building all of this to get to the meat of this speech. And this is where we'll spend our time. Notice he gives two imperatives, two things that he wants these elders to do. And it's in verse 28 and it's in verse 31. And I want you to just note them. First, pay careful attention to yourselves in the flock. And second, be alert remembering. And let's take those two and we'll spend a lot of time here. First of all, Pay careful attention to yourself. If the soul of the shepherd wonders, the sheep will follow. Now, that's not the way it's supposed to be, but we're sheep, aren't we? That's what sheep do. They follow shepherds. If the shepherd leads in a, in a false way, the, shepherd, the, the sheep will follow. And this is, but at the same time, you all are not just sheep. You're, you're princes and princesses in the gospel of the kingdom. And so you're also called to say, whoa, 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 shepherd. Those are cliffs. Pastor us well. Pasture us well in the word of God. Eddie, David, those who, and those who desire the office of elder, we should be watching our souls. We should watch what our feed, what is feeding our souls. We should ask others to examine the contents impacting the health of our minds and souls. And you should be watching us carefully and saying, what's going in? How will, I, how will you know what's going in? By what's coming out, not just out of this mouth, but out of the actions of my life. Pay careful attention to yourselves and pay careful attention to the flock. Why are pastors to pay careful attention to the flock? Paul tells us because the Holy Spirit calls pastors to the work of caring for something he obtained by his own blood. And you'll note here the Trinitarian theology of God at play within the church. You see this. The Holy Spirit made pastors, called them to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood blood that's the blood of Jesus Christ church you were purchased by blood and it's not your own it's not any common Joe's blood you sit here today I trust because blood was spilt for you this is not a light thing blood is not a light thing we get queasy about blood We should. The blood of the perfect Son of God 
If the blood of the perfect Son of God spilt for us isn't worth finishing a race for, then I'm not sure what is. Because the only reason any of us are in the race is because Christ paid the entry fee. Oh, and then he created us as new creations with a desire and ability to run. Oh, and then when we get weak and we get weary and we get tired, what does he do? He says that those who wait upon him shall have their strength renewed. Oh, and then he he goes in front of us and he prepares the way. And then he goes behind us and he cleans up the mess that we've left for his glory and our good. Mothers, can I encourage you this morning that the Bible screams that you have one that cares and loves and delights in you to levels such as only heaven can fathom. So if you're weak in the run, you have someone who cares for you far greater than your children or husband ever will. To the point that he sent his son to have his blood shed so you could be his own. Brothers and sisters, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Would you turn with me in your Bibles? to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's just spend some time recognizing the importance and significance of the blood of Jesus Christ to the Christian. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll go to two passages in Peter. One in 1 Peter 1 and one in 1 Peter 2. Would you set your eyes on verse 17? 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 17. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. Look how the Bible sets this up. Silver and gold. Uh, These are highly regarded. And it always has been that way. He's simply setting up there is nothing more costly And what does he say, verse 19? Then the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Turn one page over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 22. What does it tell us? He committed no sin. Who is this? Jesus Christ. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, by the shedding of his blood. You have been healed. You know, it tells us in the Bible that God loves us. Have you ever thought about why God loves his son? He's perfect. Actually, that's not what it says. 
Sure it is. But would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10? Note why God loves, God the Father loves the Son. And it's intimately connected with the shedding of this blood to purchase the church. John chapter 10, verse 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd, Christ says. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That is, he is willing as the good shepherd to be the lamb that was slain. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. The father loves the son because he was willing to shed his blood. The Christian recognizes the preciousness of the blood of Christ because the Father recognizes the precious blood of Christ. We are to be those who simply emulate the Father's love. And so we sing, O precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed ones of God be saved to sin no more. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. This is our infatuation with the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the fathers loves this. If the Christian is to recognize the preciousness of the blood of Christ, the pastor is to be motivated in his work because of that precious blood, and if need be, shed his own blood. This is what Paul shifts to in this passage. Notice what he says in verse 29 and following of what's going to happen to the church in Ephesus when he leaves. Brothers and sisters, this is why we proclaim the gospel each week and seek to magnify the name of Jesus. Because our fallen minds and redeemed souls are subject to spiritual amnesia and we need desperately to be reminded of who he is and who we are not and yet who we are as his children. And then we hope upon hope that somehow our children, the visitor, the friend we brought, has their spiritual eyes open to see the glory of Jesus Christ as we graciously have been allowed to see. The church will not witness to a lost world. And the elders and pastors will not care for that church until the church has grasped the glory of the precious blood of Jesus Christ spilt for the life of that church. This is a life and death thing, Christianity. With that motivation in mind, note again the commands of Paul exhorting these church leaders and by extension every leader, every church leader, and even by extension to every church. 
to hold their leaders accountable to these exhortations. He told us to be careful about our own souls and to care for the flock in verse 28. Why, verse 29, he's got remarkable insight as to the future of the Ephesian church. We saw the Holy Spirit's leading him in verse 22 and 23. We can surmise that that is what is giving him this insight here. Even in the letters to Timothy in 1 Timothy, we recognize what he says here in verse 29 comes true. Wolves do come, even from among them, and they ravage the flock. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And this is what happens if pastors are not careful. And then he concludes yet again, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock, and then verse 31, be alert. Because of the wolves who will come, be alert, remembering That is, continue the relay race of faithful pastoring. Remember what I've done. Remember how I've been with you for three years, he says. Not ceasing night or day to admonish everyone with tears. You notice Paul isn't taking much time off, if you haven't figured that one out yet. Paul is committed to this task. How does he encourage them to do it? Primarily the preaching of the word is that which protects the flock. The pulpit drives the church and then the house ministry drives home the pulpit is the way it's supposed to work. Well, let's look at this last section here. We've observed a faithful example in Paul. We've looked to him desiring a faithful finish. We've recognized his exhortation to a faithful watch. And then finally now, we'll look at Paul and Gain the admonishment and closing here of Paul as a faithful worker. Verse 32 and following, he commends these to the grace of God, the word of his grace. And notice what he does. He contrasts the grace of God in these pastors' lives as more than whatever they might gain on this side of heaven. I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold. And Paul is exhorting them to be hard workers. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, which you won't find these words anywhere else in Scripture. The Gospels don't record them, which reminds us of what John says, that he just recorded what we needed to know. There's other things that Jesus said we don't know. This is one of them. It is more blessed to give than to receive. What does faithful, practical pastoral life look like? Hard work, not coveting others' money or apparel, helping the weak, giving of yourself and your hard-earned money for the inheritance from God. Verse 35 you, you, calls to mind a passage, another passage in Scripture, Luke chapter 14. I'll refer it, you to it. Just jot it down. I'll read it to you now. But this idea of helping the weak, uh, giving of yourself to those around us, that they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Luke chapter 14, 12 through 14, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And that's within a a parable Christ is teaching. Paul's confidence and ours is in the word of his grace. God's grace for Paul, God's grace for us is the fuel that motivates faithful living. Paul finishes his course well. We'll see that in coming weeks. But he he finishes his speech here and I want to just note before we conclude how things finish up. Notice verse 36 and following. He says all these things. These are men who have been in the fire together. And notice how they treat one another. A tear-filled departure. Weeping on the part of all. They kneel down. They pray with one another. There's embracing. There's kissing. There's this walk to the ship. I, I, I don't know what it would have been like, but I get the picture of these guys holding on to Paul and Paul holding on to them and grabbing each other's shoulders and looking each other in the eye and tears streaming down their face. Never going to see this man again. Even as we read verse 37, there's this embracing and kissing and I thought <clears throat> of how weak we've become in our culture as men. We can't do this with one another. It's not manly anymore to care for one another's soul to this extent. But here it is. These men bound at the hip by the glory of the gospel, departing never to see one another again, prepared to take on whatever the Lord might bring into their life, desiring to do it faithfully, desiring to run it to the end, We need to be careful here because Paul is not our example. He's a good one and he's one we should follow and look toward, but he's not our prime example because Paul would say, why are you talking about me? Look to my example, which is Jesus Christ. Christ, We have grief in this world of sin. Paul had grief in this world of sin. Yet Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief due to our sin. We stumble at times. Christ never stumbled and yet promises when we do to to be our strength. Christians are to be humble and self-sacrificing and caring for others because that's what Christ has done for us. It always comes back to Christ. Christ. Thus our need to hear about him and remind ourselves of the work that he did for us. May I ask you this morning, I don't know your current stand before Jesus Christ. I know most of y'all's, the vast majority, but some I don't know. Some have been here even weeks and I don't know. This is living. If you're not, what is it, the... The adrenaline junkies would say, you know, if you're not willing to, to die, you're really not having any fun. I mean, you're not willing to jump off a cliff and sail to the bottom, then what fun really is there? 
can, can I just suggest that this is real living? This idea of giving everything and all, nothing left in the tank when you hit the end. Nothing left. Blood. I, I like to run. The best race I ever had was the one I felt the worst. And as I came across with 100 yards to go, all I was seeing was brown closing in because I was getting ready to pass out, going too hard. That was the best race I ever ran because there was just nothing left at the bottom. And the ones that are worse are not the fastest times, but the one I get to the end and I'm like, oh, man, you know, if I just adjusted here, if I pushed a little harder here. Brothers, we don't, sisters, we do not want to get to the end of this life and go, oh, man, because we're going to do it anyway. Let's not do that. Let's look to what Christ has done, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And if you don't know Christ, let me suggest, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but it's, it's kind of meaningless. There's, not, there's no point. Yeah, you got fun. For what? This afternoon? This evening? For a few minutes? For a few hours to wake up the next morning and go, duh. And that's it. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sin. And if you will but look to him in repentance, you'll have a life worth living beyond just a few moments or a night or two. But an eternal weight of glory awaits for the Christian whose heart has been saved by Jesus Christ and he has the promise of eternal life. The blood-bought bride of Christ is to be carefully guarded starting within and then without May I ask you this morning if you're one of those blood-bought? I want to conclude just with a quick testimony, not just a, of, a, of another man in history besides Paul who finished well because I, I don't think we can have too many of these examples set before us. Uh, you may have heard, uh, he's one of my heroes. I've used him many times. So if you've heard him before, sorry, you're going to hear him again. But a guy named William Borden Look him up. If you go take your chocolate milk and it's got a cow on it, that's Borden milk. And he was the heir to that estate. In 1904, he graduates from a high school in Chicago and by then he's already a millionaire and his parents send him on a worldwide trip around the world for his high school graduation. Some of you high school seniors, you missed it. You had, high school, you had the whole year. I don't know what's going on about that. Speak to your parents afterward. But he has the whole world lying before him. And when he gets back from this worldwide tour, he had been greatly burdened on his trip for the hurting people, especially in the Middle East. And he gets back and he says, I'm going to give my life, he writes, to prepare for the mission field. And one friend expressed surprise that he was throwing himself away as a missionary. And you can find it in his Bible. He wrote in the backside of his Bible, no reserves. He goes off to university. He goes to Yale In 1905, he's there as a freshman. By the time he ended his time at Yale, of the 1,300 students, 1,000 were in his Bible study. He was wholly committed to Jesus Christ. He had an entry during his college years in his journal that said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. 
Borden would often lament about the depravity of Yale University, moral weakness and sin-ruined lives. But he sought to do something about it. He and friends of his would split up the entire campus, the entire student body, and they would divide out the people amongst themselves. Those were the people they were assigned to give the good news of Christ to, and William always took the hardest cases. His missionary call narrowed to the Muslim Kanzu people in China. Once that goal was in sight, Borden never wavered. He also inspired his classmates to consider missionary service. One of them said, he certainly was one of the strongest characters I've ever known. He put backbone into the rest of us at college. There was real iron in him, and I always felt that he was the stuff martyrs were made of and heroic missionaries of more modern times. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. In his Bible, he wrote two more words, no retreats. He would go on to graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. When he finished his studies at Princeton, he sailed to China. Because he was hoping to work with Muslims, he sought first in Egypt to study Arabic. He contracted spinal meningitis and was dead at the age of 25. And I'm talking about him in 2020. There's only one book written on him. You have to pay about 80 to to $100 to get it online because it's very rare. You can look him up. He's just 25 years old. Just a guy committed to Jesus Christ with no sight and end, with no end in sight. All he's thinking is, I got 65 more years. Let's run this race well. When news of his death was cabled back to the U.S., the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went round the world. Quote, Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. Upon his death, Borden had written two more words in his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he had written no regrets. This is Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian elders. Don't, don't regret anything at the end of this day, boys. And it's the same for us. For, for me and for Eddie and David as pastors, but also for you all as the church. Let's not, let's not go out of this church and go, yeah, it's, another, it's pretty good. Another day, another week. Oh, man, we've been bought by the blood of Christ. Let's show up well for it. Let's pray. Father, we noted in our prayer of confession that we're often cowardly. And your word is so good. It's good in my life. It's good in these, this church's life to prod us, to poke us, to push us, remind us, call us. Father, we're weak and frail. But I know for many here this morning, the desire upon their heart is, here am I, send me. Use us, even in our weakness and frailty. Use us in our desires that don't always match our actions. Help us. 
We want to be faithful to the, to the team you have redeemed us onto. You, we want to be faithful to the family you have adopted us into. We want to honor the word of Christ that has brought us to life. We pray this week even with our neighbors, friends, family, all those around us. Deepen our desire and give us much grace. We need it so desperately to stand for Christ. To not be weak. To remember Paul. To remember others. Went all the way to the stake to be burned because they believed that this word was true. Father, you've planted it in our hearts and may it grow and bear great fruit for you this week. We thank you for your kindness toward us and giving us your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to minister. Help us as we go now. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.